Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. Yes, it is episode three of Orange and Backcheck. I am Bill Kornfeld. In studio today, we are in studio together. I'm looking at his beautiful mug, Scott Weinhardt. What's going on? I here? think that's the first time everybody's ever said I had a beautiful <laughs> mug. Not even your wife says it. <laughs> Never, man. That's the truth. <laughs> well, it, it, what's what's uglier, the your mug or the Flyers West Coast trip this past week? I don't think it was that ugly. I really yeah, don't. But you, when you come out of one out of six points. Fair point. That's, that's, Fair where the, point. that's where people can just say, yeah, that was ugly. Listen, everybody wants to say the sky is falling right now. You know, one point out of six possible points. Philadelphia teams got swept by Dallas teams this weekend. Yeah, six games fun. in. Everybody's freaking out. We're all doomed. The season's over. Chicken little. The sky is falling. Can I put something in perspective here? Absolutely. There's 75 games left to play. Right. Relax. Yes. Yeah. All right. This- it's not like the NFL where we're down to... 11 games, I think it is. Yeah. Whatever Not even it is. that much. Yeah. They're, they're halfway through the season already. Yeah. But even so, you know, against Calgary, I think was their worst game. Watching that game, they didn't get their legs going really to the second. David Riddick had a really good game. They, you know, it was a, a good rebounding game for Calgary, as we said in our preview. It was a matter of time before Calgary got going a little bit. Yep. They did a good job defensively shutting down Goudreau, Monaghan, Kachuk. Uh, but their second line scoring started to get something. So um, I don't think it's anything as far as they're playing poorly. Mm-hmm. They're, they they played well against Edmonton. They had 52 shots on goal. If you have 52 shots on goal, you do something right. So Calgary didn't have a good game. Edmonton, they played well. But also, like we said in our preview, it was they got killed on the rush. Yeah. And that goal, that goal of the year, one, that's going to be a goal of a year highlight with uh, Connor, by, McDavid yeah, Connor McDavid on, on Justin Braun. Uh, th- that was a great play, but that's Edmonton's bread and butter. That's right. why people are going to have a hard time beating that team because if you're pressing the other way, guess what? They're coming right back with speed, and they're going to score. So, um, yeah, I, it, Dallas, they played well, too. They held Dallas to 15 shots all game. So, defensively, again, fantastic. But the problem is the puck's not going to the net. It doesn't mean they're playing poorly. It doesn't mean they're playing bad. It doesn't mean they suck, as half of Twitter is saying. And, but right now, the puck's just not going in, and they need to. The offense needs to get going. Yeah, I think it's the more I as I watch these games, the difference is night and day what it was last season. Like, there's, I don't think anyone can argue how this team looks compared to the Dave Hackstall era and the Alavino era. Like, it is so night and day of what this team is doing, and like. 
you know that that production is coming. There, just like we were talking about how we were waiting for Calgary to bust open its its type of play. We're waiting on the Flyers to really get consistent. Yeah, they had some nice wins early on. They had a nice win in Prague against Chicago. The Devils, like the, those are the Devils, are expected to be that contender in the Metropolitan. But like. They never felt rhythmic in how this team is supposed to flow under the Vigneault philosophy, and that's what we're waiting on. That's the magic word. Yeah. Flow. They've had six games over the course of three weeks. You can't get into flow that way. Hockey is about flow. Mm-hmm. It's not about rushing up ice back and forth. It's not specifically that. It's about flow. It's about rhythm. It's about getting into a groove. That will, you know, I didn't, I didn't really learn that until I started coaching. And I, I credit, I credit my buddy Chris Bradley for really like showing me that angle when I got into coaching for that. Right. But that is what it's all about. It's about flow. It's about the smoothness back and forth, the consistency. When you play six games over the course of three weeks mm-hmm. and you do all that travel. Travel's not an excuse. Don't get me wrong. I think it is in this in this scenario. I know. I know. Like what you're gonna say is like it's just part of the game. But going to Prague is not part of the game. It's not. In, it's not part of the schedule. The typical schedule of the NHL. No one else did that ex- except Chicago and the Philadelphia Flyers. No one else. No one benefit the Jersey Devils. Okay, they beat the Devils, but still they didn't have to come back from a. I'm assuming at least a ten hour flight from Prague. Like mm-hmm. that is. Not typical. Is the travel back from Edmonton to to the Philadelphia to play the Dallas Stars an excuse? No. That's part of the game, and that's how these goes, especially because they had two nights off. Well, one of them is a travel day. Right. So they got one day taken away where pretty much they're on the plane the whole day. Right. Not using it as an excuse, but it's very hard when you're trying to establish a rhythm and establish flow that you cannot get it going, for the most part, when you're moving around that much. Mm Mm-hmm. Not an excuse. They need to score goals. They're getting shots on net. 52 shots on net. 39 shots on net. 52 against Edmonton. 39 against Dallas. So in two games, you've put up almost 100 shots. The problem is they're scoring chances. Right. And and that's going to come because scoring chances are more about the finer details rather than actually putting a puck towards the net. Mm-hmm. Anybody can put a puck towards a goalie. Uh, if he stops it, it's a save. If it clanks off the post, it's not. It doesn't count as a shot. Might be a scoring chance. But their scoring chances are really lacking. There's no creativity. There's no really opportunistic ways. They're just trying to force it and play straight up net mouth, north south hockey. Right. And because they haven't had enough time to establish the rest of those details, that flow and that chemistry, that's why you're not seeing them score right now. It, It comes in bunches. It happened in the first couple games. Now you're starting to see them level off because they haven't had that consistency where they're playing together like that. And as we're recording this, we're about a half hour away from the puck drop of the Vegas Knights. You shouldn't tell people that. They're supposed to be magic in an aura. They can know. It's no big deal. Yeah, it's no big deal. It's fine. (laughs) They're listening. They'll listen on a Wednesday and they'll be like, okay, what the hell? Why are we breaking down the Vegas Knights? It's (laughs) because we didn't record it then. Johnny from Southampton or whoever is listening to this podcast. Johnny, but it's fine. Johnny from Southampton, thank you for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. But like, so we won't have an exact analysis of the Vegas game, but it goes to that point. We're waiting for this team to come and really establish their flow. And when we say flow, as Scott put it perfectly, we're also not talking about the ice conditions. Ice conditions isn't what we're talking about here. It could be a choppy, crappy ice situation that ha- occurs every once in a while in these games. Madison Square Garden? Yes. Madison Square Garden, California, or not California, uh, Carolina. 
Carolina, the Hurricanes, any t- any team in Florida, especially the Panthers, despite the Florida Panthers uptick in their in their play over the last couple of years, like that ice is always crap, no matter what it is. Yep. So that is not part of the flow we're talking about here. It's just the rhythm of how the Flyers are skating and playing and communicating. Similar to like on in that the goal that they had in against Dallas. Which was a thing of beauty by uh, by Sean Couturier because it was per- perfect tic tac toe hockey. It started yep. from the point, perfect rush out outbreak. All of a sudden, you just saw this beautiful uh, set of play from Couturier, Voracek, and and Giroux. It was it was a thing of beauty. That was a great play, and that's the flow we're talking about. Is that they haven't had enough time to really work on that. Part of that's the book on Ben Bishop too, which I'm surprised they they didn't try to move him as much. I think. What happened in that game against Dallas is that once that happened, Ben Bishop, he's a six seven goaltender. He's the largest goaltender in the league. So once he gets moving laterally, he kind of has a tendency to overplay it a little bit, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what happened. Konechny showed shot the whole way. Stick blade was open, taking it to the net. He's a sniper to begin with. Ben Bishop's thinking shot the whole way. What happens, he just passes it across. It got the Dallas defense to open up a little bit. Couturier wide open on the left side, wide open net. The rest of the game, you saw Dallas kind of compress into a like a small box where they really just took away the slide, have sticks in the lanes, so you can't get pucks across. Right there is where the Flyers really started to try to pass the puck around more to try to open that up. They didn't take advantage of that. They didn't get Bishop moving enough. So right. when you have a 6-7 goalie, regardless of how slow he might be laterally, it's very hard to score against a guy that size. So right. I... It's a more, once they get this flow going, once they get this rhythm, you're going to start to see the offense open back up. Hopefully it happens tonight because they're going against Marc-Andre Fleury, who we've seen plenty of in Pittsburgh when he, for over the years. Yeah, um, He is going to be a Hall of Fame goaltender. There's no question about it. But he's he's off to a great start this year. He'll be 35 next month. Yeah, He's off to a great start. He's not slowing down. So they, they really have to make sure that they are moving that puck around there, trying to... Uh, trying to spread open that D, and if the D's collapsing in front, making that box, they've got to find ways to open them up and draw guys out of position. And to that point, where this game is going to start with is at the top. Claude Giroux and Shane Gossesphere. These guys, Voracek is coming into his own. He didn't score against Dallas, but he had two goals against Edmonton, which is a nice thing to see, especially because it's Edmonton. They're a really good team. Mm-hmm. But these Shane Gossesphere's and these Claude Giroux's of the world Giroux has no goals to his name. He only has four assists on his uh, on his tally this year, including three of those four points are on the power play. He's got to start getting in there. And I know we've talked about how Giroux's not a true scorer. He has never been that guy. He's been mislabeled as that, I think, throughout his career in Philadelphia. But he still needs to put the puck in the net. And Shane Gossespierre, he has no points to his name. And we were talking about it in prep. He's zero. He's even on the season. And shocking to us, he's minus 25 on his career. Shane Gossesbear is at a crossroads in his career, and it's not looking good. Well, let's go back to Claude real quick. Let's go back to Giroux. Of course. Giroux. you got to go so, to the captain. Giroux, which is probably the most overrated thing in sports, by the way. We'll talk oh, about yes. that in another yeah, episode. Yeah. We'll talk about that later on. I don't think we have to because I totally agree. Just <laughs> slap, I remember when people slapped the C on him, and everyone, and then he had that slow start after bidding slap the C on, and then everyone was like, nope, take it away. Give it to whoever's on the team at the time. Pronger was obviously gone. Like... I think Couturier at 18 was getting touched, like say or tapped, saying, "Hey, you should be the." And it was just insanity. 
I totally agree that the captaincy is totally overrated in terms of the NHL, what it is today. Just the guy who could talk to the referees. And right. Means. And most of the time, last year I saw Wayne Simmons uh, talking to the re- to the referee because he had the A and like that. But like, just because you have the C doesn't mean you're exclusively the guy. It yeah. could be yeah. anyone that has a letter on. You, you, slap you, an F on me. I'll go talk to the ref. <laughs> I don't give a crap. <laughs> yeah. And not even that, too. Like, Everybody associates the captain with a leader, but there's so many leaders in that locker room, those veteran guys. It's it's a lot different than what it used to be. Back in the day, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it held a lot more because that was your top leader. Nowadays, it's so different. That's not the case. But yeah. So we went on a little tangent there. Yeah, a little. But we digress. But going back to Giroux, Giroux has historically gotten off to slow starts. He might get a goal or an assist in his first game or two, and he'll kind of level off for the next 10 games. It's just. How his career has gone when he when he hurt his hand in 13-14 and really didn't have any points over the first 20 games of the season, then took off a little bit. Um, but, you know, that's the thing is that he's he's historically prone to that. Ghost is a different animal altogether because Ghost, you're, he was delegated basically to a second and third line pairing where he's supposed to actually get more favorable matchups. And he's not doing that. He's got no points on the season. How, if you're a point, a point getting defenseman like Shane Gostisbehere is supposed to be, how in the hell do you have no points through six games? Not even an assist. I, I can tell you why. He's not playing well. He's playing very, very poorly. Go back and watch the recaps. Not ours. You can watch the total recaps. Uh, but we could probably even do a breakdown about how bad Ghost is playing because couple times I saw him get battled down with the puck. This is throughout the course of a couple games here. He's shooting again, but he's missing the net. He's not hitting the target. He's even somehow in the seasons, which means, okay, maybe he's a little better responsibly defensively. Right. Okay, but that also at the same time, there's no offensive production on that. So you can't have a guy like Ghost who you're expecting to be your power play guy, one of the guys who's supposed to quarterback the power play. You have another guy who's supposed to make sure that he's getting shots in the point. There should be some deflections and stuff in front. But he's gripping a stick too tight. Uh, He's just not getting it done. Over the last three seasons, this is what it's been. In 16-17, he had a total of 39 points, and he was a minus 21. And then he had the rebound year in 17-18 where he had 65 points, and he was a plus 10. Last year, he had 37 points and was a minus 20. So this guy needs to be a plus player. He needs to score 50 points, over 50 points, to be a plus player. You don't want that on your back end. I I really think that the Flyers should take a look at this and say, hey, you know, maybe it is time we can cut bait with him because he does carry value around the league because of his skill set. Right, it's it's rare to see a guy that can play the blue line like what Gossespierre does, which is honestly... Probably you could argue one of his weaker moments, which is ironic because he is a defenseman. Yeah. He is a weaker defenseman across the league, but because he can play the blue line to his level and play on the offensive side, as we were talking about with power play production, like this is he's not a unicorn, but he's he is unique. He, like like he is unique in that sense, so he's going to have appeal. And it's one of those situations where you say to yourself, maybe a change of scenery is what Gossespear needs. It's very possible that, you know, you can get some value for him. It might be draft picks. It might be a roster player. You're not going to get someone at the same skill level, but they have guys. They have Philip Myers down in the minors who is probably ready. Sam Morin, we've been waiting seven years for him to do something. 
Might just I be, think it's over with him. You might just need to give him minutes. Yeah, yeah. The guy just has needs to play at this and point. Yeah, I mean, he's on the active Flyers roster because, like, He's at his wits' end with the AHL in his AHL career. Yeah, he's not going to progress anymore down there, and I think that he can do something if you give him the minutes. So I think that defensively, I think they're okay with him right now because he is even. But offensively, it just he's got to get it going. I looked it up because I was curious because with these shots that we're talking about of how they're getting pucks on net, they're creating they're creating chances. She's not falling. I looked this up. Shane Gossesphere shots on the season. Play a game here with me. Okay, I'm in. Over under 25. Oh, over. It's 14. <laughs> 14 shots? 14 shots. Through six games? Through six games, he has 14 shots. He you, has you, not shot more than five times uh, in the last five games. I don't have Chicago in front of me. He's only shot the puck over, statistically registered on NHL.com once. And that was Edmonton. Okay, so. Two games ago. Let me ask you this. That's, that, if you're talking shots, that's how many have hit the net. Yeah. Okay. How many has he missed? Right, gotten blocked, whatever, like yeah. just whiffed on. Th- those, right. are, those are your we, fancy analytics you talked about last week. Right, we would have to look we it up. We would have to look at his, his, his missed shot. That's, but that's the point. He's only got 14. He's only got 14 shots through six games? Yeah. And he's a guy registering on your power play? That's, that's trash. What is that's happening? trash. He's at, like, the last two games he's played, he's averaged his highest uh, on ice time as well. So what what is happening? He's he was under eighteen minutes for the first three games of, uh, for the first four games, barring uh, Vancouver, and all of a sudden he's getting a ton of ice time in Edmonton and Dallas, nineteen fifteen and twenty one thirty five respectively. So that means he's improved defensively. So right. he's improved defensively. If they're lagging more minutes. According to Vigneault, way. like like what Vigneault, like obviously we're not gonna. I'm gonna at the end of the day, Vigneault knows a hell of a lot more hockey than anyone that's listening to this podcast, including Scott and I. But like, okay, maybe Vigneault is just like I don't know what else to do with this guy. I'm gonna give him ice time because no one else is producing. Well, on the defensive side, I'm talking some about. guys are built that they need to in order to get stats and in order to produce. They just need those minutes. Some guys are yeah. like that, and usually your stars are like that. You need to give them a lot of those minutes. I don't know if Ghost is a he's I'm probably what averaging over 20 minutes right now. Give or take. That's a full period of play. Okay, so if he's an even player and getting 20 minutes, okay, he's improving defensively, which is a little surprising to me. But it doesn't help you when you're expecting him to put points up and he doesn't have a point on the season. So those are defensive minutes. Those are the types of minutes I'd expect Justin Braun to play or Matt Niskanen yeah. to play, not Shane Gostas. Here's the problem too. Here's the problem with we going back to those shot stats real quick. He didn't have, for the first three games of the season, Prague, then coming back to Philly, and then out to Vancouver, three shots between all three games. One shot apiece. That's that's, what, that's the problem disgraceful. right there. That's where, that's, huh. like, remember his rookie year? And that's year? on net. That's not how many he's right. missed. Right. Like, remember his rookie year when he had that ridiculous point streak? He set records. Everyone was like, this is the second, like, this is this is the, the next captain when Drew leaves, whatever it may be. That, like... That is what we're talking about and what we expected out of Shane Gossespair. And now I think this is what he is. Yeah. As much as I last year I tried to defend him because I thought it was more the detriment of what Hacksaw had him doing. I know we're only six games in, but the numbers don't lie. I, I, I'm going to agree with you here. And I, I think the issue from over the course of what I've seen over Ghost's career is that and this happens with defensemen, and I don't know why teams do this, is that a guy comes in, okay, let's take a look at P.K. Subban for one example, yeah, okay? The yeah, guy comes in, example. puts up a lot of points, and he, he plays fantastic. 
And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, now we want you to focus more on your defense because we mm-hmm. need you to play defense. Okay. I understand it from a coaching perspective. You want your defense to play defense, but if your guy is putting up 60 points a year, he can lack a little bit in his defensive end because he's making it up offensively. Right. It doesn't make sense to me. He, I think they've tried to change his game, and I think that's part of the reason why Shane has got to this point while he's the dog in Philadelphia now. Him and Jake, they're the dogs. Everybody's got to dog them. But the reason why is because they tried to change his game over the last five seasons from being this great offensive player to now, hey, let's focus in on defense. I went and looked up P.K. Subban because we were just talking about him. Just to see, just a point of reference in what we're talking about. He had three straight years of 50-plus points. Since then, he's only had one. Yeah. Yeah, because they're trying to get him to play more defensively. And I know it doesn't sound like a while ago, 2015, 2016, that was the last of his three straight years of 50-plus points. Was that his last year in Montreal? That was. Then he went to Nashville. Exactly. Right. And so. so he was looked at as a guy that to Nashville, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't really remember the details of what how that transaction happened, but like straight up trade trade for but like PK what I'm talking about is, right well what I'm talking about is why they did it like did they just see him as a guy that needed a, a defensive presence to get them the cup or did they or a t- contend for the cup or did they just see him okay we can get him back to offensive production because in Nashville he only had one season of 50 plus points and he had 59 points and that was probably the year they went to the final in 1617 right uh yeah no yeah. seventeen eighteen seventeen eighteen okay so it was yeah. the year after the year after which is ironic because the, yeah. obviously they fell short on that one I think that at that point I think what Lavi tried to do was try to fill a hole and trade a player straight up and have more versatility in what PK could do as opposed to Shea Weber right Shea Weber's just a human shotgun from a point from the point I mean mm-hmm. he just he his slap shots he's are ridiculously hard to, to defend but PK adds a little more playmaking ability back there. I think probably what they tried to do is they tried to they didn't realize by trading PK they're losing the defensive actually skill set from Shea Weber right. and tried to replace that and that's probably why you saw a dip in points from him. So um, I think teams should be more willing to say, hey, okay, this guy's on our back end, but look at William Carlson. William Carlson's probably yeah. the best example of a guy. William Carlson is the defenseman. He's okay defensively. He's not, you know, he's won a Norris Trophy, I believe. But only because he puts up points, and he puts up a lot of points because he's a playmaker. Right. You to can your have point, a guy of a playmaker, but you don't. Right. It's not as great defensively. Take what he's good at and coach him on it. To your point about the objective of hockey, that is anti-analytics. But like the objective <laughs> of hockey is to just get the puck in the net. Exactly. If you have a defenseman that is able to do that, why are you trying to hinder that by getting him to just focus on his defense? I get the old mantra is defense wins championships, but like. You got to have a little bit of a give and take because one, that mantra might actually be, you could argue that's actually out the window in this decade and this lifetime of sports recently from football, basketball, hockey, baseball, doesn't matter anymore. But just on the sheer basic knowledge to say to yourself, this guy puts the puck in the net. Why am I hindering that? Exactly. I think teams would be more successful. If instead of they try to mold players into something they're not, is to coach them and make them do what they're good at. And then you get more of that flow that we're talking about. Carlson already has eight points on the year and nine games in for Vegas. See, and that's what I'm talking about. But what's, yeah. a, what's his plus minus? Six. It's okay. It's fine. It's still positive. It's still better than Goss' Bears. It's already still better than Goss' Bears. 
It's a plus six on the season. It has nine points or eight points, and it's plus six. That's so. that's solid. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I I don't understand. It. I don't understand it. Before we wrap up, as we go into, we're now about twenty minutes away, fifteen minutes away from puck drop for the Flyers in Vegas or against Vegas in Philadelphia. They called. They made some roster moves, and we expected this to happen. Chuck Fletcher said, "If the team is not doing what I want it to do early in the season, I think he even said as specifically as six weeks. If nothing is good, if nothing good is happening in those first six weeks, I'm going to make some moves." And we saw those moves yesterday. Joel Farabee, yeah, yeah Joel. and Mikhailai. Forberev. 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 Very Russian. Yeah, extremely. But Joel Farabee is the guy that everyone is looking at because he's only 19. He's already lighting it up. He's four points in four games for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Like this guy, as we talked about in our preseason podcast, he was looked at as that guy that could stay on the roster despite his age and experience. He was got the short end of the stick, and now he's getting his chance. Yeah, and I think it's actually a smart move for them because he's going to add two things. I wouldn't say Torinsky played terribly. He got it on the forecheck. He did everything right. he was asked to do, but he doesn't have the offensive skill set that Farabee's going to bring. Farabee's also a much better skater. Uh, he, I, you know, We talked about it briefly before in our, our season preview. You know he's got a great skating ability, and he just he just grinds it out. So he's gonna find players with the puck, and he's just gonna forecheck the hell out of them. Forechecking is just placing the offensive pressure on a defenseman. He's just gonna forecheck them to the point where he's gonna t- come out with that puck more often than not. Even so, you can slide him in on the third line. You probably have enough room there, and he can you can add a little more of an offensive element. I would even as go as far as saying. Maybe he puts one home tonight. That would, yeah. I, th- I, I think that would be pretty neat to see. Even in the show that the Flyers are being featured in behind the glass on NHL Network, this guy was expected to make the NHL. Just listen to this. You looked real loose today on the ice. If you go down there and you work hard, you'll be back up here real quick. Work your off. I'm going to see you back up here real soon. Okay? Yeah. Yep. Elaine Vigneault knew he was going to come back up. Oh, yeah. Like, th- then that was a weird situation because mm-hmm. he was told he was going to Lehigh while they're out in Prague. Like, they might have even been in that preseason game in Sweden at the time, even, or wherever it was. It doesn't matter. Like, whichever team that we freaked out about. Switzerland. Was it in Switzerland? Last West or whatever like, the hell it the was. The fact that they, everyone freaked the F out because they lost to some, no, like, semi-pro team in Switzerland, and everyone was freaking out. And it's like, yes, because preseason, as we say, doesn't effing matter. Nope. So it was a weird situation for Fair because he was told he was going back down to Lehigh, but he's on the other side of the planet. You can't just send the guy down to Lehigh like here in Philadelphia. They just send him up the Northeast Extension and he's back in uh, Lehigh Valley. So you knew he was coming back. It was so set in stone that like, listen, there's no room for you right now. We're going to give Torrency the shot here. See how the team goes. Three-game losing streak. Got to get a jolt in here. That's where Joel Fairby fits in. I think part of it was a cap reason, too. They were really up against it, so I think they needed to maneuver it's a couple things. always with the cap with this Yeah, team. and that's kind of why it worked out that Nolan Patrick's hurt right now because his money's coming off the cap a little bit. They were so tied up against it. That's why they had to wait two weeks to sign uh, Chris Stewart, who they signed last yes. week, finally. Yeah, they got, got some veteran presence. Yeah, yeah, and um, but he's going to add more of an element. I think Flyers fans are going to be happy with that. The next one that's going to be coming up is Morgan Frost. There's no question. He's tearing it up down there in the A right now. He looks great. Great, had a great uh, great goal the other night. Um, he looks really solid down there. He's going to be up soon enough. He's going to add a different element to the team, a lot more speed, a lot more aggressiveness up front. So it's going to give them a little bit of the spark that they need early on. 
And that's exactly what this is. This is kind of like one of those weird situations because you have a new coach, GM, with a full season under, getting his full season under his belt with his team. Like, this is going to be a lot of mixing and matching for this these, this Flyers team right now. And despite our playoff expectations for the team, and they should be expected to make the playoffs, like, this is just part of that growing pain. It's an 82-game schedule. It's a long, long season. And I'm glad you said growing pain because who did I predict earlier that might be off to a little bit of a off season here. No, Carter Hart. Yeah. Yeah. After that's a guy, actually a good point. I did not put that in our rundown. Carter Hart is an interesting story because he obviously got the the yank early in Edmonton after giving up four goals on eight shots. Really tough stuff. And he immediately gets back in to Dallas and he still doesn't give up. He gives up three goals in that game and he plays, but he plays the full 60 or whatever it was when they yanked him for that no meaningless empty netter. Uh, Edmonton was a rough game for him. There was a couple he should have had. Leon Dreisaitl's goal, the first one, should have had that. Should have had Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. Shouldn't have had, uh, should have had Ethan Bears. Should have had three of those, four of those goals. Uh, nobody was stopping Connor McDavid when he got around yeah, Justin Braun. Nobody was stopping yeah. that. Um, he should have had three out of those four goals. It wasn't a great game for him in his homecoming. That's his hometown. Not Edmonton, yeah. but the area is his hometown. Yeah. Um, I can understand your first start, basically, in your hometown. You get a little bit of nerves. Okay, I'm sure he had family up there. Yeah, he definitely did. And then at Dallas, let me explain something about goaltending that people don't realize. First of all, there's a great podcast out there. Flyers had a backup last season, Mike McKenna. He does a podcast as well that everybody should check out because he really goes into the details of why things happen that way, even Mm -hmm. more so than we can. He actually talked, talked to Mike Layton two weeks ago oh, as well. Okay. Yeah, Mike Layton the broke hero down. Of 2010. He, he broke down how the goal got past him. Yeah. And when he explained, I never understood how. And he explained it. I'm like, well, I think you know that what? made perfect sense. I think all of Philadelphia needs to listen to that podcast, specifically yep. that episode, because I think there are a lot of people that are still confused and looking for how that puck went into the net and, and where it is right now. It's called a tech. There's a technical. Before going into too detail about Carter, let me explain. There's, there's goalies have we used to have what's called the VH where they would put one pad tall along the post and put their glove hand up it. They stopped doing that about right around that time. It was big, but they stopped doing it and started doing the RVH where basically you had one pad down low tucked against the post and your other pad was across the goal line. But it's really tough on your hips. So Leighton talked about how. He was working with it with the goalie coach. Right. And what wound up happening was that on that play, he tried to drop into it, but his pad didn't rotate. And he he said right away, as soon as he dropped, he knew it was in. But if you get a chance to check it out, listen to it, you don't realize how much of a career that guy's had, especially in the AHL. He's the AHL shutout king. He's he's had a really long career. He just retired. So did Mike McKenna. But without plugging someone else's podcast too much, <laughs> going back to Carter Hart. It's really tough when you're a goaltender and you're only seeing 15 shots and you only see one shot in an entire period because, again, it goes back to the one thing, below. If you notice that the Flyers, they put a lot of shots on David Riddick, a lot of good scoring chances on David Riddick in Calgary. He played well. When a goalie gets into that flow, into that rhythm, the better they play. Yeah. Same thing the next night or the next night um, against uh, Miko Koskinen in Edmonton. Miko Koskinen had probably one of the best games of his career, played a really great game, but yet again, he was in that flow. You're constantly moving. Then what happens is that when you come back and you need to rebound and you only see a couple shots, the first goal, there's really nothing he could do. He, he should have had the rebound, but that's a tough play. Um, 
Uh, Rupa Hints just went right around Matt Niskanen and got his own rebound and put it past Carter Hart. Carter Hart. The second one was just a great tip in front off a great play. There was nothing you can do about that one. The third goal, I think he was back in his net a little too far. That can't happen. You got to come out a little farther and cut that angle. But it's also Corey Perry who has had seasons of 50 goals. He might be old and washed up now, but he can still play the game. But when you don't see any action after that, you can't get into your rhythm. So it's really tough to be able to mentally stay into the game when the rubber's not hitting you. Also, let's take into consideration this. Carter Hart is 21 years old, okay? He's not going to win the Vesna this year. Yes, of course, everybody wants him in the conversation because, oh, we've hyped him up so much. But you got to give this kid time to go through the lumps and time for him to grow. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to get yanked a bunch of times this season. It's going to happen. But he's always going to respond by playing good games. You just got to give him time. He's going to have games like that. Believe it or not, if I mention the name Tuka Rask, when you think of Tuka Rask, what do you think? Yeah, exactly that. He's a great he's goal, goaltender. He's, he's a great goaltender who went through his uh, his seasoning process to finally get to the level that he needed to be in Boston, and he was able to take over for Tim Thomas at the time immediately. Like it seemed like that was a very quick turnaround. Like obviously there was the outside hockey stuff that was the issue with Tim Thomas. Whatever you, whatever your politics are, whatever that was his issues. But like all of a sudden they won the cup, and then Tim Thomas was just gone, and they put in Tukarask, and that was the end of it. Yeah, and Tukarask. And the thing is, is that what's crazy is that the the Boston fans dog him up there. They mm-hmm. think he's the fault for that. And every time, shocking. And that's what I'm, well, here's the shocker. <laughs> every time I see Tuka Rask play, I'm like, oh man, I gotta go get Rask tonight. I have a hard right. time winning that game. Right. He's a great goaltender. Right. Yeah, I can't. I could probably count on one hand how many times the Flyers have beaten him in his career, minus that 2010 series. They haven't beaten him a whole lot. No, they have. He's a hard goalie to score against, and the Boston fans dog him. So take that into perspective. You, you, if you look at it from an outside perspective, Carter Hart is going to be a very solid goaltender. He's going to be a very good goaltender, but you got to give him time to get there. You got to give him time to grow. You got to take him time to get well. Don't chase this kid out of town at 22 years old because then you got a next Sergey Bobrovsky on your hands because oh he's yes. not great after one season. Well, you didn't give him time to grow, and you went out and you spent 51 million dollars on Ilya Brzezgalov, who you're still paying off to this day because he was a flop. So. Give him time to grow. I wish I was paid that much money just for sitting at home doing nothing and having random tweets at random moments throughout the year. You know, it's great. He still lives in South Jersey. When I was coaching, oh really? When I was coaching hockey, we had a game at the uh, Igloo down in um, yeah, yeah. Uh, down in Mount Laurel, and I'm walking into the arena with my coaching bucket and all this stuff with all the pucks in it, and just Bridge just comes walking out. Hard man to miss. He's right, huge. That's, yeah, and he just walk out. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, that's 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 Briz. I just walk up. Hey, Briz, how you doing? He goes, oh, hello. And then just walks up. <laughs> Did you not ask him about the universe? I didn't ask him anything. I would have I asked him about the universe. I was ready to go coaching games, man. Humongous beat. Yeah, excuse me. A humongous beat. Humongous. <laughs> Got to get it right. Uh, uh, I think that's that. God. I don't want to relive he, that. He was a character. He was a great yeah, guy. Like, he, he was a great guy. He played who, well here. He played well here. He played here. decent, the, just didn't live up to the hype. And that's not, like, you can't fault the guy for getting his agent to say, hey, the Flyers are offering you whatever number of years, but at mm-hmm. $51 million. Mm-hmm. Like, 
okay, yeah. I guess I'm going to Philadelphia. Like, no one else is going to give me that money. I'm gone. Philadelphia has a stigma. They have not seen a goaltender in so long that if he's not number one in the league in goals against average and save percentage and right. having 50 shutouts a yeah. year, then he's terrible. Yeah. Like, every time a goalie gives up a goal, oh, he's terrible. He's People, trash. Well, you don't know what the hell you're looking at. Right. People are going to look at, like, I think uh, – Carter Hart, his stats of, or his numbers for this season have dipped below 900. He's at mm-hmm. like 890 or something. People yeah. are going to look at that, and rightfully so. He should be at 890 because he's had these past two games have really nuked his stats. A rough start. Edmonton, Edmonton is obviously rough, giving up that many goals, four goals, and then obviously three goals the following following game against Dallas. Your 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 stats are nuked at that point for yeah. the time being, especially so early on. And it's not the amount of goals you give up; it's how many goals on the shots. Right. So like when you're giving up three four goals on eight shots, it's a 500 save percentage. When you're giving up th- four, three goals on 15 shots, that's like a 750 save percentage. Right. So. So, yeah, yeah, your stats are going to plummet after that. But don't look at his stats. Let the kid grow. Let the kid get into his role. Let the kid get into a flow. And they'll level off of the year. He'll probably end up around 9, 10, 9, 15. Right. Which is about league average. Right. And that's exactly where he needs to be. Because yep. if, you're, if you're putting up those numbers as a goalie, your team is probably in the playoffs. Yep. Grant Fuhr, probably one of the best goalies ever played the game, played for Edmonton. There was always the thing about him. It's that... You could be up 6-1, you'll get get goals 2, 3, 4, and 5 past them, but you won't get that 6. And at the end of the day, when you're a goaltender, that's all you need. As long as he's not giving up that game-tying and game-winning goal, yep. at the end of the day, who cares if his goals against average is hovering around 3? I don't care if his save percentage is around 900. At the end of the day, if he's winning games, that's what matters. All right, I would say we are probably just underway in South Philadelphia against Vegas, so I think this is a good time to wrap things up for Orange and Backcheck Episode 3. For Scott Weinhardt, I am Bill Kornfeld. Glad you are listening. Like the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Apple Podcasts, those reviews go a long way. Also, we put up those game recaps and those game previews. Huge boost to the to the Facebook page and the Instagram page and the Twitter page. Let us know what you think. What do you want us to teach you? We are doing our Chalk Talk series in the coming, coming weeks. What do you want to learn about hockey? That's what we're here for. We're trying to help you understand the game that is one of the most difficult games to understand. Let us help you. Orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. Orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. For again, for Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. See you next week.